0: Hi there, and welcome to Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories with Amy Sayed. This episode is brought to you by the Quantum Genius Program. Today we're going to talk to someone who has a harrowing story of survivorship and thriving there afterwards. We do want to start by sharing a content warning. Information shared on our podcast can be graphic in nature and we recommend that you review the details of our podcast before listening. We appreciate you tuning in, and we hope that the story shared with you today is inspirational and helps you get through tough times that you may be facing. Welcome again to Calm After the Storm. This week, I will be speaking to Jody Kovitz. Jody is the host of Joyful Sundays, a podcast that delivers insights, inspiration, and tools to live a more conscious, connected, and intentionally meaningful life with some of the world's most inspiring leaders. She's the founder and CEO of Move the Dial, an organization that champions women in tech through events and shared authentic stories. As if that wasn't enough, Jody is also a certified meditation instructor. So Jody, we often speak very biographically through the podcast. So I'm going to start by asking you, how was your childhood? And really, what was your first experience with your parents that you can remember?
1: I feel incredibly blessed. I have many parents, which not everyone has the opportunity to say. So I was born in Calgary uh, to my mom, Karen, and my dad, Bernie. They were separated when I was very young. So I have a lot of early memories of being with each of them separately. My mom remarried when I was five and my dad remarried when I was also five. So I ended up inheriting an incredible stepfather who I called dad from the moment I met him and an incredible stepmother who now is not married to my father anymore. He has another wife who is uh, an awesome human and very lucky to have her. But I also have a very close relationship with my ex stepmother. So early memory, if you're asking me today what I can think of, jumping in the leaves in the backyard of my mom's house in the fall when I was probably two is a very early memory I can share.
0: Oh, wow, that's amazing that you remember that far back, Jody. I do, and my mom sort of always worked to create these
1: magic moments in my life, and I hold them, and that's something that I actually really try to do with my daughter, and it's something I really brought into the work that I've done at Move the Dial and otherwise.
0: So how do you think that... If you can remember, but how do you think that the divorce may have affected you, or has shaped the way that you see the world today?
1: You know, of course, it impacted me in every way. I I think in in ways that were hard, and in ways that were super positive. So, I'll start with positive because that's just sort of how what my game is. You know, I live my life by a lemonade philosophy, and it's something that I really work with my daughter on. So, given that I was divorced when my daughter was almost three. Having lived through the experience of gaining additional family members, of having you know five siblings I wouldn't have had for the remarriages and the richness that those siblings bring to my life, and the opportunities and life experiences I've had because of my very large family, it enabled me to pass that lemonade on to my daughter. So that is sort of the gift of the experience of my parents having been divorced very early. And I think, you know, I live by the philosophy of like, it just was the right thing for for them. And therefore it was the right thing for me. And in moments, and even in in recent moments, you know, I still have conversations, Lily's almost 12. There'll be moments where sometimes she, of course, would be sad that she lives in two homes and she has to leave me or she has to leave her dad and stepmom. And sort of, we always talk about, you know, I'm so sorry for the pain this causes you and let's go to the blessings, you know, and and focus on the blessings. So that is the positive side, of course, of the experience. The negative side or the difficult side, of course, you know, or, or maybe it's not, of course, but for me was the coming and going, you know, having to be separate at any point in time from half my family. Um, leaving my mom and stepdad and missing out on things that my, that, you know, sort of more nuclear family that I lived with in Toronto, you know, missing out on opportunities, but also always having to leave my dad. Every time I left my biological dad, it was deeply painful. And Mm so the manifestation of that in my adult life, you know, which I'm only now at almost 43 years old, starting to connect the dots around, You know, it was profound, right? Endings are hard for me. Endings of any kind with any relationship. And, you know, I can own that and and sort of recognize that and sort of now understand that that comes from being emotionally ripped apart from loving relationships at an early age and having to go back and forth and,
0: and not sort of having one home. So, Jody, this really resonates with me because I have two stepchildren that we share half with their mother and half at our house. And they they have explained the same to me at their young ages of 16 and 14. Now it's been happening for five years now. It's one of those things. It's unavoidable because it's your reality and it's it's what you make of it. But you're right with all the blessings, there comes pain as well. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, and I think it, it resonates with a lot of people who've had to either experience divorce or experience, you know, the other version of divorce, because it sounds like your parents did a really good job keeping you as part of their individual families and ensuring that you had your siblings and your step siblings that were very much involved in your life.
1: Absolutely. And the one thing I can say to any, any, even if it's just one listener going through it, you know, I used to be a family law lawyer. So this is what I did in my life. And certainly that was driven by my own personal experience, but ultimately we always have a choice. We can go try always to be right, or we can go high and put our children first and really think about the minimal amount of conflict is typically what is best for a healthy sense of groundedness for children. And so adopting the mindset of always doing everything we can to seek out the positive and to find the lemonade and to make a choice every time there's a decision, big or small, is this something worth going to the wall for? And what's the cost, you know? And so for example, I live with a mentality that there's a very small concentric circle of three items that I will go to the wall for. And I know it and my daughter knows it. And otherwise, if her other parents and I may not agree on something like typically, if it's not in the concentric circle, I'm comfortable with, you know, going with what they say. But we've been able to do, do very well together in our parenting relationship, I think, because we, we all are working hard to co-parent together and to, to know the, the least amount of conflict is the thing that is the best for Lily and to let everybody parent in their own way in their own homes and and come together
0: on the really important issues. You know, Jody, I was uh, I follow you on Instagram and I was so impressed and um, I've been so moved by how open you are about your co-parenting relationship with Lily's mom, a stepmom as well, because I feel like it's unique in the sense that you put it out there in the public. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and your feeling behind it and really, you know, what motivates you to stay so involved with uh, with her stepmom and and her dad's side of the family?
1: the truth is this marissa lily's stepmom is an awesome human who came into lily's life when she was three and has enriched it enormously that's it you know we're both entrepreneurs so we share a lot of passion around that the lessons for lily and watching sort of that entrepreneurial vision and her work ethic has been incredible she's the mom of lily's siblings And so, you know, to me, there really is no other choice. It is all about creating a sense of family and stability for Lily to the best of our ability. And that means, you know, aligning where we can and having a great relationship uh, together, as well as Lily having the space with her family, which she does with them and her space with me, where we do our own things. Um, And I think we've been able to find a really nice balance
0: that makes sense and that is comfortable. I love that. I absolutely love that, Jody. I want to talk a little bit about you becoming a family lawyer. What was your motivation behind it? Or what were you going through at that point in your life that really motivated you to go into that type of law?
1: For me, it was more actually driven by my passion for equity. And growing up, I had the experience, my mom has MS and had the experience of, you know, her use of a mobility device of a wheelchair and many Many lived experiences of her feeling excluded or experiencing the difficulty of living with a disability in a world that is not accessible to many people. And so that created a passion for me around inclusion that really drew me to law school and advocating for people with disabilities. And I wrote a paper when I was in law school um, about commercial surrogacy, which was hotly contested at that time. And I was fascinated by this concept of uh, whether infertility could be defined as a disability and what the law had to say about it and how would you characterize frozen embryos, persons or property. So I wrote lots of papers. In fact, one of them got published in a legal journal around the state of the nation with respect to the legal status of embryos, and then the, the surrogacy paper led me down this path of understanding not only was it an interesting argument to consider whether infertility was a disability, therefore the prohibition of commercial surrogacy was discriminatory, Uh, it also made me think a lot about the rights of same-sex male couples who wanted to have a child genetically connected to them, and whether it's right for society to assume that women do not have um, autonomy over their own bodies and the right to have free will. So you know, that got me really excited about the area of family law, the changing law of assisted human reproduction. And I wanted to go into that area of law. So I did. And I also studied in law school, something called collaborative family law, which is a process where folks sign an agreement to opt out of court. And it's very interest-based and it's very high road and it's very aligned with my life philosophy. And I thought, Hey, I could start a practice in that and really try to get people to live in this sort of interest based way when they're going through these hard times. And I'm an entrepreneur at heart and I have a business degree and I sort of saw an opportunity as well to create a business out of that. So I went into family law for all those three reasons and I sort of was the annoying associate in year 1 asking for business development money with a plan and ROI and targets and convinced the the law firm to give me some money, they sort of were like, this is like unheard of that anyone would even ask for a business development budget in their first year of being a lawyer, but do it. and And then I sort of performed on it. And I took the training to become a collaborative family lawyer and I built a collaborative family practice and I did do donor agreements and egg agreements and, you know, did, did all that work. It was great. And I spent about seven years at doing that six, six years practicing family law. And in the seventh year, is when sort of my life changed quite dramatically and I had a much greater insight about myself and realized that that wasn't the right career path for me for the long
0: haul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit about how do you come to a realization like that? Like what was, what were the circumstances? What were you thinking at the time? Cause you've evolved a lot. You're kind of like going from caterpillar to cocoon to to butterfly in terms of the way that I see the way you wrote your book. So can you talk to me a little bit about that?
1: I think it's a different process for each person to go through sort of that metamorphosis. And I think for me, there was a combination of, being self-aware enough to pay attention and be open to the messages I was receiving from my energy, from higher power, whatever, whatever we call it, God's source. I was open to receiving the message. I think I've always been super sort of committed to my personal development, maybe overcommitted to it. That's part one. And then part two you know, I will say having had the blessing of some very difficult life circumstances, which woke me up probably more dramatically than most people have the opportunity. So, you know, in my life, as you you read about in my book, like I, you know, we went through a difficult time in my life, you know, a series of events, including my daughter getting very sick and having this near-death experience. And in that moment, it just really made me realize... That I wasn't living the kind of legacy impact that I wanted to have. And I wasn't, it just wasn't right for me. The, the practice of family law, while I had honed the skills, trained, spent 10 years investing in becoming that, was not the best use of my skills and was not the best for me and my daughter. So, and that I really needed to change my life. You now I had that big aha wake up moment. I do feel very blessed to have had it. But also you have to be listening and you have to be willing to grow. And that's where I think, you know, there's an opportunity for people who might be struggling to shift their, to shift. It's like, if something's not working, pay attention to that. Observe how that's affecting your body. How is that affecting choices you're making? Are you, you know, going into addiction? Are you going into fantasy? Are you going into behaviors that are not self-loving And perhaps if you're open to shifting much more closely towards your authentic truth, good or bad, whatever the truth is, you know, you might find you'll be in a place where you can start to build more loving limits with yourself and be living more in alignment with who you are and and what your values are.
0: And Jody, it takes so much courage to do that, right? You have shown your courage by sharing your story, not only on social media, but through your book. I know that you have recently posted about your experience in Arizona and how it was really life-changing for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that may have been your pivotal moment in coming out of this?
1: Yeah, you know... I'm not really ready to get deep into that story. It's a very personal story, Um, but I can share, you know, I recognized that I had been living in a way where a pattern of behavior in my personal life kept manifesting. And I realized that it was getting beyond my control. It was bigger than me. And so what I decided to do was to go take a course that was specifically addressing childhood trauma for a week, removing myself from my life, no contact with the outside world, to go in very deep and do some you know inner child healing work. And it was probably the hardest week and experience of my life and yet the most the most transformative. And so that's really, all I can say is if you, feel that you have a pattern of behavior coming up, trying to will yourself through it without creating space to address it and go deep, deep, deep into the layers of where the damage was done might be very hard. And sometimes I, I, I certainly observe and I learn through tons of work I've been doing that different behaviors and different addictions, regardless of what they are, addiction to working out, addiction to food, addiction to cigarettes, addiction to drugs, addiction to sex, whatever your thing is, Often, if you go deeper than the thing, there is some sort of trauma that resulted in that protective behavior. And I encourage people, you know, at this very difficult time that the world has, there is this opportunity to go in, to really go in and to use this space as an opportunity to cocoon, to focus on our self-healing, to go deep into what our wounds are, um, so that when we globally emerge from this pandemic, we might be able to align a little closer to our North star values and a little more healed through the time. And so
0: that's mo- that's the most that I can share about that experience. I, lo- I love that, Jody. I love it. And you know, it so resonates because one of the things because of also my own life experience, similar to you, I was in a, I was in a different situation, but very similar. I was fighting terminal cancer and I actually went to a retreat in Atlanta where I really unplugged from the rest of the world and focused. And I was peeling those layers of the onion, you know, as I was going through this journey, because I realized that the manifestation of the disease was in childhood trauma for me as well. And this is something that... How are you now? I'm cancer-free for a decade now. Mm-hmm. I've been I've been cancer-free and, uh, you know, I, I keep doing the work. I do the work though, like well, you, yeah, do it, right? do the, you do it, right? We do the work do daily. The work.
1: But honestly, you know, what led me to Arizona was I it was manifesting physically. I had eczema around my eyes, really terrible. And I kept, I had nine concussions in two years. Wow. And I, you know, have a skin condition that had, you know, it's just, it just, there was a lot of stuff going on and it was definitely not cancer, but it was a a very intense physical manifestation of you're not dealing with your shit. So deal with your shit, (laughs) you know, that's the net and we all have the choice right to do to Yeah, go it doesn't in. go
0: away. It stays, right? It stays there until you deal with it. Yeah, and I caveat that comment. I mean, I
1: think I caveat my last comment around choice. I mean, I think you know, it also we need to say that some some folks, you know, really suffer from severe mental health challenges that make it feel that must I have empathy must make it feel impossible to mobilize. And so I think we have to hold space and empathize that sometimes there are other interventions that are required beyond choice in the work. And I just want to say that because I think there's some people that probably find that work beyond what what they're able uh, to do without other supports.
0: I believe self-love is a practice and a study that we need to exercise often throughout our life and our daily practices. We can view ourselves from a place of criticism, which forces us to be hard on ourselves and break ourselves down. On the other hand, we can view ourselves from a place of love. It allows for acceptance and growth that is intentional, giving way to action that serves us. When we drive ourselves to be too busy, ignore the signs in our lives that things just aren't working, When we proceed in our life without checking in with ourselves, it is easy to get lost in the shuffle and not feel through repression. This is when the manifestation of disease often occurs. For women or men, through seeing ourselves as beings, flawed and imperfect is the first step. As you accept all the parts of you without judgment and sacrifice, when you learn to love each part of who you have become, this is where the real magic happens. It sets you free from your inhibitions. I always tell people your worst enemy is always yourself. I really want to now talk a little bit about Move the Dial and how that came up for you.
1: So I was very fortunate to take on the role of CEO of a nonprofit in tech. And the first thing that I recognized was that there was no women in there <laughs> around me and even fewer women of color. And that was really you know upsetting to me. And so Move the Doll was really born as a vision around celebrating awesome women doing great stuff in tech and shining a light on them and ensuring that we demonstrated all different kinds of women identified people that are doing that great work. And it started with the vision around an event and one event that was supposed to be for 30, became an event for a thousand, wrote an op-ed in the paper, gathered some volunteers. We started working together to advance the mission of advancing the participation and leadership of all women in tech. That became you know, five pilots and tons of momentum and interest. And that Turned into an opportunity for me to leave my full time job and go start it as a full organization, which I did in 2018, and uh, it it was an amazing organization. You know, as you've experienced, we you know delivered our work through partnerships with corporations, through hosting events around the world, focused on shining a light on the stories of women, as well as an annual global summit focused on diversity and inclusion at a global level, as well as demonstrating what happens when we invest in awesome women. And so the work was awesome. We, we you know, ran the organization for a couple of years, unfortunately, and we were on a massive, you know, t- growth target to, to grow, you know, exponentially this year and over the next few years. And then the pandemic hit and our, you know, model was really based on in-person magic And what we could create in terms of connections and the experience of being in person. While I contemplated the idea of moving the whole organization virtual, that it wouldn't have the same impact. And I couldn't run the organization responsibly, fiscally. Because while we could do virtual events to give to the community, we really couldn't monetize them enough for me to pay the team. And ultimately, part of the decision to shut down, which we did, uh, to pause the operations, was also really an equity-based decision. So we decided to pause operations and lay everybody off due to pandemic leave and currently contemplating the future of it. And that's as much as I can share about that.
0: I know uh, based on what I experienced with Move the Dial and knowing you um, and following you that you'll do amazing things, I'm sure with, with the movement. And, and it will continue one day, Jody. we are going to come out of this one day and, you know, whatever that looks like, you know, people like myself will be there to support you for sure. Thank you. So kind of you. So I want to talk a little bit about your meditation and your meditation practice. And, um, I believe you're certified in it now. Like, can
1: you talk to me a little bit about that? Yes. You know, um, I have really discovered the power of two things. One is breath and people really don't understand the power of breath unless they understand the power of breath and how we can always find our way home, ground ourselves, work through pain, anxiety, fear through the simple power of breath. And second is around honoring and loving ourselves enough to give ourselves time to sit in quiet. And so for me, my meditation practice was really about marrying self-love to sit in quiet and to prioritize that connection to self, connection to presence, and literally just calming my own nervous system, as well as bringing in breath in connection to vitality and and really the the mantra through which I live my life which is you know in a state of grace and that is a mantra I found when I was bed on bed rest when I was pregnant with my daughter and she was threatening to come out way too early and my father actually said to me you know Jody you just got to go to a state of grace like you can stay anxious every minute and your blood pressure will stay up and you'll be all the time worried she's going to come out and she's not going to make it and all the things. Or you can take yourself to a state of grace and make a different choice. And I found for the two months I was on bed rest, I had to literally come to my breath and like breathe in state of grace and breathe it out all day. And so in this time, you know, when I when I decided to shut down Move the Dolls operations which was done in a massive crisis way, right? It had to be done every, every day the EI waiting list was growing. I was worried about my team every day we were burning cash and I had been really sick right before. So I actually, I don't know if it was COVID. We don't know. I mean, it was before COVID was really in Canada, but I had been in the U S for a week and I had been exposed to probably three or 4,000 people through the many events and subways and plays and dinners and speaking things. And and so it's quite possible that it was COVID and I was bedridden in March. Like I I was 10 days in my bed. I lost 10 pounds. I couldn't eat. I couldn't breathe. I needed a puffer. It was all awful. And when I finally got back to work on the first day is when my business partner, Jeff Fettis and I and my team were like, how are we going to pivot? I was really sad was my point. I mean, I came to this place where I was depleted. I was exhausted. It was high cortisol, high stress. I had been living my life in extreme stress for years, because while building Move the Dial was beautiful and impactful and living my legacy and many things I'm proud of, it was very hard on me personally, my body, my mind, you know, I was in sometimes four time zones in a week. It took everything I had out of me and I didn't even realize it until it was quiet. And I had made the decision, I had sorted out all the things. And then all of a sudden there's all this space. And in this space, I really found meditation as the tool through which to heal myself and to allow the grief that I have when you build a thing and then the thing falls down to the ground for thing, reasons outside of your own doing. And, you know, our whole society and technology industry is sort of like, be resilient and don't fail. And if you're a really good entrepreneur, your business won't, you know, I actually, you know, I know that the decision I made was the best decision for the organization and for me and for my team members and for my partner and all the things. But it didn't make it easy to navigate and wade through all the self-flatulation and sadness, 50 different feelings I could name that come along with what felt like a death of my company. So I just sat, I just sat on my mat and I sat on my meditation pillow and I allowed myself the quiet, So I took my meditation teacher training and it was a fantastic experience. What I've been doing a lot of in my time has been founder coaching. So I've coaching a number of founders of different businesses of different sizes, you know, and that's been a great source of joy for me. And I've brought my meditation practice into the coaching. So being trained in how to share that, feels um, really meaningful for me. And it's been a very joyful way for me to move through my grief and give back and pay forward the wisdom and knowledge and experience that I gained through through building Move the Dial.
0: That's amazing, Jody. I, I absolutely love that. And I know you have your own podcast, I do Joyful Sundays. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk to me a little bit about that too?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think also Joyful Sundays was very much born out of my desire to sort of calibrate in this moment, what are our values? What matters most? And it really comes down to this moment. Actually, there was a moment one night I was making the decision of what to do with move the dial. I had worked with my team and my investors slash business partner to figure out there's one of three paths we can take. And I had Lily, my daughter in my bed that night and I never have my daughter in my bed. One of my loving limits is you sleep in your own bed, but It was the beginning of the pandemic and she was very anxious about, none of us knew what was happening. We didn't know if there was going to be food or water or, you know, it was so stressful. Anyway, she was breathing in her sleep and I put my face right close to her face and just was feeling her breath and breathing in her breath. And in that moment, it was like everything was illuminated to me around what was most important to me in that moment. And it was her you know, and making sure that her safety, physically, financially, not putting myself in a precarious position where I'm willing to bet, you know, many entrepreneurs are in the luxurious position, especially if they're younger or don't have many responsibilities that they can bet the farm. They can take a personal line of credit for hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm like, I just didn't have that luxury. I have this little human relying on me. So, even if I wanted to continue to operate, I was not in a position where I can like put my house against that. Even if I love the movement or even if I'm proud of the business, I just was not prepared to do that. I can't. And, and by the way, knowing your limits is a very important thing to do as a human, as an entrepreneur, as a parent. There's no badge for martyring yourself beyond what your personal comfort is. But I'm saying that for those who need to hear it, because I had moments where I didn't see that as clearly. And so having Lily breathe on my face and sort of wake me up to what mattered most is then what sort of made me realize we have the gift of this time with the pandemic to spend really articulating what are the principles based on which we want to live? What is the framework that we want to develop through which to make life decisions? What is the mental model we want to use coming out of the pandemic so that we are making choices that are aligned with our most, as I call in my podcast, North Star values every single time. And, And that's really how Joyful Sundays was born. And then, you know, just really talk to some incredible humans and leaders about their experiences, their formative life experiences as well as, you know, what was happening as a, what has been termed by others, a second pandemic when um, we, we all observed, um, George Floyd be brutally murdered and then many other deaths and, and murders that, that happened. Um, and the sort of, um, surgeons, you know, sort of, of the Black Lives Matter's movement really, you know, helped us shape the conversation. Also, given my own passion around equity to an equity uh, equity lens as well.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, you see it today now, too, right, with the with the election in the U.S. Yes. And the disappointment that people have generally been feeling at the initial results on election day. And it wasn't so much only about the fact that, you know, the race is so close, but the overwhelming 50 percent right? That that you can see out there that we're voting for that line of thought, even though we are in the midst of this realization, I think collectively, not only with the pandemic, but with, with the resurgence of BLM, that there is such a stark issue yes. that exists yes. here, yes. right? In the free world. Yeah. And that we have
1: so much,
0: you know, work to do. So- so, on that note, Jody, in each of our episodes, we ask our guests if they'd like to honor somebody who, uh, in their minds, is a survivor or who has not survived. Uh, do you have anybody in mind that you'd like to dedicate this episode to?
1: That's beautiful. I would like to de- dedicate this episode to my aunt, who is my mother's was my mother's best friend, but she was like my auntie, and her name was Paula and she was an entrepreneur and a true survivor and she fought cancer for many 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 years our entire childhood she was raising carly on her own and battling cancer and just a profoundly strong remarkable magical human being and i love her and i miss her and uh, i think she'd be so proud
0: of her daughter and i think she'd be really proud of you too jody thank you <laughs> thank you so much Thanks so much for joining us today, Jodi. It's been an honor.
1: My joy. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Life happens and it continues to happen. You can be on cloud nine one day and you can be back at square one the next. When I see Jodi today, after seeing her on stage, after the last Move the Dial conference, I see humanity I see someone who is representative of us all. Things are not always perfect, but we always find a way. Thank you for listening to Calm After the Storm. The podcast is dedicated to telling stories about survivorship, healing, and thriving after trauma. Tune in next week to hear another incredible conversation. If you like this episode, support Calm After the Storm, Survivorship and Other Stories by leaving a five star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Calm After the Storm is created by me, Amy Syed, and produced by Quill Incorporated. Special thanks to our guest for today, Jody Kovitz. Be sure to check out her initiatives at www.movethedial.com.